As we were listening to the reading, I just was struck by something. I was struck by a lot of things. But in that passage of 1 Corinthians, that passage that we hear so often, um, it says that we will be fully known. We will be fully known. Fully known. And I'm just struck by that. I'm struck by how little I feel like I'm fully known. And I think that that's pretty profound. I think that that's pretty cool. And I think uh, today as we gather, that's one thing that we need to remember. And I think it's someplace we'll get to this morning. It's the perfect storm. It's, it's absolutely the perfect storm. And I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about the fact that Valentine's Day would land on a Sunday. And not only that Valentine's would land on a Sunday, but it would be on a Sunday at Lutheran Church of Hope when we're talking about the year of community. And, and so we, we have to talk about it. I mean, there's no way that we can avoid it. We're going to talk about love because it's Valentine's Day. It's the year of community. And, well, it's Sunday. So we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk a lot about love today. But if you're anything like me, I think for a lot of us, even if it's not this Valentine's Day, but there are many Valentine's Day that di- Valentine's days that just didn't feel very good. It's this day that our culture sets aside. It's this day that we build up towards. It's this day that gets so much hype. And it's all about love. And it's all about this giddy, romantic love that they make commercial and ha- commercials and Hallmark cards about. But I think for a lot of us, a lot of us, and it goes bigger than if we're in relationships, it goes bigger than if we're in marriages or we're committed to somebody, it goes to the core of us that that despite our relationship status, a lot of us when we come to Valentine's Day, a lot of us when we think about this day, we end up feeling incredibly lonely. We feel like we are incredibly disconnected, that we are incredibly isolated from those people around us. And yeah, we can sit there and we can nod and we can say that Valentine's Day is a wonderful thing, but for a lot of us, a lot of us, it is a very difficult day. It's a day where we think about the fact that we don't have somebody who knows us fully. We don't have somebody who has our back regardless of anything. And I think that that's a product of our culture. I think that's a product of the world that we live in. We live in an incredibly disconnected society. There's a writer by the name of George Gallup and he has this quote that I thought was absolutely striking. He says, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. As a culture, as a society, that as Americans, living in this, in this country where we think that we have so much, living in this country where we think that we are so blessed, that we have so much, that we are so privileged, that we are among the loneliest people on the face of this earth. And the first time I read that, I wanted to disagree with it. The first time I read that, I wanted to say, well, this guy doesn't know. I want to know what statistics he's looking at. 
But the more I thought of it, the more that I agreed wholeheartedly with that statement. Because I think that we're lonely. I think that we are very disconnected. I think that we live lives where we, we, we search for love, but many of us don't find it. And it increases, it heightens the awareness that we feel all alone. About five or six years ago, uh, I met a guy when I was out on a run one day. His name was Dave, and he quickly became the best friend I've ever had. Dave and I, on, on just a normal run, were connected, and we started to share our experiences and share our lives with one another. And we became very close. Not only did we spend a lot of time running together, but we spent a lot of time just sharing life together. If there was anything that happened in my life, Dave was the first person that I called. Before I called my parents, I called Dave. Because Dave was a person that I, I didn't worry about what he would think of me. I didn't worry that I had to impress him. I didn't have to worry that if I told him something or confessed to him something or admitted something to him, I didn't worry that he would judge me. Because I knew that Dave, that Dave, as a friend, that he loved me. And he loved me for who I was. He loved me because of, of the story that my life was. And it wasn't about how I treated him. It was about the relationship that we had. About three years into our friendship, Dave and I were both, within two months of each other, were going to move to different states. This friend that I was so close with, this friend that I'd spent so much time with, well, we were going to be separated. And for me, and as well as Dave, it caused each of us a lot of anxiety. A lot of worry. And I remember in the month leading up to when we were both going to move, I remember talking to Dave, and I remember us discussing how we were going to go about and find somebody in our new cities that we could connect with the way in which we connected with one another. And it wouldn't diminish our friendship, but we, we realized through our relationship with one another that we needed, as single men, we needed people like each other in our lives. About three months after we had moved, I'll never forget a conversation that Dave and I had with one another. I remember talking to Dave on the phone and I remember bringing up that conversation that we had had about needing to find someone that we could share life with. And I asked Dave, I said, Dave, how's it going? And I'll never forget how Dave answered me. Dave said, Jeremy, I find myself surrounded by people, but I've never felt so alone in my whole life. He said, Jeremy, you know what the worst thing is? Is to be in a sea of people and to be lonely. Dave said, I'd rather be on a deserted island because at least then, at least then I would have an excuse of why I was so lonely. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. I think a lot of us find ourselves 
surrounded with people, in communities, in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces, where we find ourselves living our lives next to other people, but we feel so incredibly alone. We feel so incredibly disconnected. And I wonder why that is. I wonder what it is about us that, 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 that puts up those walls, that puts up those barriers, that, that doesn't allow us to, to have authentic community with one another. My grandpa, my dad's dad, was born in 1886. I know that that sounds like it couldn't be real, but my, but my dad is 69 years old, and his dad had him when he was 54. My, my grandpa, obviously I never met him. He died when my dad was in college. But my grandpa was born in Sweden. My grandpa came over on a boat from Sweden when he was 14 years old in the year 1900. And I've always been fascinated by who my grandpa was, even though I never got to know him. I was always fascinated about what his childhood would have been like. And my dad didn't have a lot of time with his dad. And my dad would wonder the same things. And I wonder as my grandpa got on that boat, as he and his brother left Sweden for this new world, left Sweden for this United States, left Sweden for America in search of a better life, I can't imagine how amazingly huge the world must have seemed to my grandpa. I mean, just simply to get to America was a journey of days. When my grandpa got to America, he went through the customs and he changed his last name to be more American. I'm a second generation Johnson. Couldn't he have picked something cooler than that? (laughs) But he wanted to be American, so he picked one of many. I'm going to be a Johnson. And I thank him for that. And then he and his brother headed west in search of land, in search of community, in search of an area where they could make a living and provide a better life than they had been provided for. They settled in an area which is now called Rothsay, Minnesota. It's 45 minutes east of Fargo, North Dakota. Why you would settle there, I do not know. You think this is cold? It's nothing in comparison to there. But when I think about it, even though the world was so huge for my grandpa, their communities were so close. You see, because in that day and age, everybody had a role. In those community, everybody, communities, everybody had a purpose. My grandpa, he was the grain elevator manager. And you had the farmers. And you had the pastors. And you had the teachers. And you had the merchants. And you had these people that lived in community with one another and they depended on one another because in order to get outside help would take a day's trip, a day's journey. So you were forced to live in and amongst one another and you felt vitally important to the health and the growth of the community in which you lived. 
Their world was huge, but their communities were so tight. And it didn't mean that you loved everybody, and it didn't mean that you always liked everybody, but it meant that you depended on everybody. And everybody had a purpose and a role in their community. And I think about how different the world we live in now is, where our worlds have become incredibly small but our communities have been become incredibly loose. We used to live in a front porch society where people in town would spend their days and their outside hours out in front in community um, around the other people that lived on their block. And now we've turned to a back deck society, oftentimes enclosed in fences, Not so much to keep our kids and our pets in, but more so to keep other people out. You see, we have so many ways that we connect to people today. Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, blogs, email, cell phones, other ones that I'm not even aware of because I can't stand technology. But with the connections that are happening today, almost all of them are happening through a medium. Almost none of them are happening face to face. You walk into a coffee shop today and you'll see a sea of people that are all connecting with somebody else and none of it is happening. Almost none of it is happening face to face. And we've become lonely and we've become disconnected. And that's not the way that God designed us to live. It's not the way it was meant to be. You see, it it was about living lives of love. Joseph Myers in his book, Search to Belong, he says these words. He says, with the erosion of the geographically close family and the heightened mobility of our culture... Many people struggle to learn healthy competencies for community. In the world in which we live today, we've lost the ability to form community. We've lost the ability to form connections because we don't live in and amongst people anymore. We're we're so dependent on keeping close contact with the people we used to live with that, that we don't even know who our neighbors are. As I was growing up, my mom always sent me next door or across the street to get an egg or a cup of sugar or some extra milk because we didn't have any. And I wonder if you even know what your neighbors' names are today. When's the last time you had a conversation with them? When's the last time you said hello? 30 years ago, my mom would send me up and down the block to fill the cupboards and we needed something. And today, I live in an apartment building and don't know one person that I live with. We've lost the ability to maintain and build community. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says it's all about love. It's all about love. He says in verse 4, he says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. 
It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. We live our lives in, in a culture which we've lost our connection with other people and God is telling us through His Word that we are to live lives of love because it does not fail. You want to cure your loneliness? Love. You want to find community? Love. Because it does not fail. It will not fail. And you might be sitting here this morning and saying, yeah, but you don't know the community in which I live in. But yes, you can love. In Matthew 22, Jesus is sitting around with some of the teachers of the law, some of the experts of the law, and they're trying to trip him up. And so one of the experts of the law says, Jesus, you know all the commandments. Which commandment is the most important? If we're going to follow one and not follow any of the other ones, which one would you say that we should follow? What does it all hinge upon? And Jesus says these words. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love each other. Love God with everything you have and love the other people around you the way that you love yourself. But you see, the thing that is so difficult for you and I, the thing that makes that so difficult is I really truly believe in the culture in which we live in today, we've lost the ability, we've lost the ability to love ourselves. How am I able to love God and how am I able to love other people when I don't know how to love myself? And I say that to you not to convict you, not to make you feel bad about yourself, but I say that to you because that is how I have lived my life for so long. I have no clue what it takes to love myself. I spend so much time trying to love God. I spend so much time trying to love people around me, but I've forgotten what it means to let God love me. Because when God loves you, when you let God in, when you let God call out your name, it will change you. And everything in your life will change after that. Everything will change. You see, because we live in a world, we live in a culture that has told us that we are not good enough. That we don't measure up. And we live with this false narrative of God that that, that we don't measure up, so therefore I must not measure up with God, and therefore I must work harder, and I must love harder, and I must spend much more more time doing, and I must exert more effort, and I must do more, because maybe if I do more and exert more effort, then maybe, then just maybe God will love me. And Jesus is saying, you have it all wrong. You need to learn how to love yourself. And you might be thinking, you might be saying, well, yeah, you don't know the person that lives around me. They love themselves way too much. They are so egotistical. They are so self-involved. This is the last thing that they need to hear. But my response to you would be, is that love? Is that truly love? Or is that compensation for some emptiness, some void that is there in their heart? And the only way that they know how to cure that void is to exalt themselves, to worship themselves, to tell everybody else how great they are. You see, it's, it's an identity issue. 
It's realizing who we are. It's realizing who we have been created to be. It's in realizing who we have been created by. Rob Bell writes a book and it's called Sex God. And it's a really odd name for a book. I read it on an airplane a couple years ago and the whole time I was reading it I was covering up the chapter names because I didn't want people on the plane to think I was some sociopath. Because one of the chapters is called, called God Wears Lipstick. I thought, what are they going to think? I'm going to get thrown off the plane. But Rob Bell writes, he quotes from somebody's diary, and I, and I want to share that with you this morning. Rob Bell writes, In 1945, a group of British soldiers liberated a German concentration camp called Bergen-Belsen. One of them, Lieutenant Colonel Merson Willett Gonin, wrote in his diary about what they encountered. Here's the diary. I can give no adequate description of the horror camp in which my men and myself were to spend the next months of our lives. It was just a barren wilderness, as bare as a chicken run. Corpses lay everywhere, some in huge piles. Sometimes they lay singly or in pairs where they had fallen. It took a little time to get used to seeing men, women, and children collapse as you walked by them. One knew that 500 a day were dying and that 500 a day were going on dying for weeks before anything we could do would have the slightest effect. It was not easy to watch a child choking to death from diphtheria when he knew a trichotomy in nursing would save it. One saw women drowning in their own vomit because they were too weak to turn over. Men eating worms as they clutched a half loaf of bread purely because they had to eat worms to live and now they couldn't tell the difference. Piles of corpses naked and obscene with a woman too weak to stand propping herself against them as she cooked the food we had given her over an open fire. Rob Bell writes, This account is shocking, horrible, and tragic. But why? Rob Bell says, We intuitively understand that the wrong being done to these prisoners, these people, was much more significant than the physical conditions forced upon them. Because a concentration camp is designed to strip people of their humanity. I wonder if you've been stripped of your humanity. I wonder if you, through the circumstances, through the lives, through through all the things that have happened in your life, I wonder if you've been stripped of knowing who you are, of who God created you to be, of feeling like that you're just one person in a sea of people that really has no significance at all. Rob Bell goes back to the journal and he says, this man writes, It was shortly after the British Red Cross arrived, though it may have no connection that a very large quantity of lipstick arrived. This was not at all what we wanted. We were screaming for hundreds and thousands of other things, and I don't know who asked for lipstick. I wish so much that I could discover who did it. It was an action of genius. Sheer, unadulterated brilliance. 
I believe nothing did more for these internees than the lipstick. Women lay in bed with no sheets and no nighty, but with scarlet red lips. You saw them wandering about with nothing but a blanket over their shoulders, but with scarlet red lips. I saw a woman dead on the post-mortem table, and clutched in her hand was a piece of lipstick. At least someone had done something to make them individuals again. They were someone, no longer merely the number tattooed on the arm. At least they could take an interest in their appearance. That lipstick started to give them back their humanity. Rob Bell concludes, because sometimes the difference between heaven and hell may be a little lipstick. Jesus was walking towards the Jordan River and John the Baptist was there and he was baptizing people. Jesus walks up to John and he says, John, it's my turn. And John says, Jesus, no, I, I, can't, I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, you must. You, you must baptize me. Matthew 3, verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. When's the last time you heard that? When's the last time you heard that? Because that is what has happened when Christ went to the cross. Christ gave you a name. Christ gave you a name that was above any other name that could be given to you because you became His son or daughter. You became His beloved. You became a child of God that nobody can strip from you. You were given an identity. You were given a love. You were given a name that nobody can strip from you. Not circumstances of life. Not broken relationships. Not losses of jobs. Not anything in this world can strip you from the name that has been given to you by the Son of God who died on a cross on your behalf that you may have life and you may have it in all its fullness that you may have hope for a future that gives you life that you have been given a name that you are loved and when is the last time you stopped you stopped trying to do so much you stopped trying to be so good you stopped trying to do everything else and you just stopped and thanked God for the fact that he loved you enough that he would go to the cross for you and for the love of God stop everything that you're doing just stop for the love of God stop And let Him love you. Just stop. It's so ironic that Paul, Paul before the service asked me if it was okay if they read from 1 John chapter 4. It was what I was preaching on today. Because in 1 John 4, my life was ruined. And it was ruined in a good way. Because I don't remember when it was I stumbled on 1 John chapter 4, but it changed everything. And I have never been the same since. 1 John 4 verse 10. 
This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that you loved God. And realize and hear me on this, that there is absolutely nothing you can do. There is absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you any more than God loves you right now. Nothing. And there is nothing that you can do in this world that is going to make God love you any less. God loves you. God sent His Son for you. God loves you so much that He went to the cross for you. And there is nothing you can do to get Christ back up on the cross. And there is nothing you can do to take Christ off that cross because he did it and he did it before you were formed he did it before you were even a blip on the radar he did it for you this is love not that you first love god nothing that you did nothing that you deserve but that god did it all for you and you have a name in that you have been changed by that you have been set free from that love and it takes all the pressure off. It takes all the pressure off. And it allows me the freedom to live my life in response to that love. When you come to grips with the fact that there is nothing you can do to please God any more than God is pleased with you right now, it takes all the pressure off and it allows you to rest in the love that comes through Jesus Christ. And then that love will overflow in your heart. And you will be compelled to change the world around you. It's what I love about City Branch. It's because you get it. You get it. That it's not about you. That you have been loved so extravagantly that it just pours out. It pours out. And you don't go out to change the community because it's something you have to do. You go out and change a community because something changed in you. Because you have been set free. That God loved you in such a way that you will never, ever be the same. That's love. Not a Hallmark commercial. Not a card that I give to my wife that I wrote on just this morning. No, it's love that went to a cross to give me life. And in that, and in that, I find my name, beloved, well-pleased, radically changed, trumping all circumstances of my life. Let's pray.